Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we start our long task of world building. Uh, It's something that I've always been interested in and dabbled a little bit in. Uh, but having Jimmy take me through the steps uh, is going to be a, an amazing time. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right, Jim. So we've played in D&D. We've played in the world, in the universe, and Neverwinter Nights, and Baldur's Gate, and Sword Coast, and all these beautiful things that exist within the world of, le- of the Wizards of the Coast Dungeons & Dragons. But I want to make my own. I think I am a smart man. I think I am very creative. And I want to create my own gaming world. But here's the problem. Is how do I eat this entire elephant that is a gaming world? Ooh, you sound hungry. J- just a second, hold on. Famished. Famished. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. It's a really good question, and I'm glad you've asked it because I've been thinking a lot about working on my game world, and because my game world has been in action for 27 years approximately goodness it's a long yeah that's right it's a long almost 27 years this summer it'll be 27 years so um but i've created multiple gaming worlds i've created smaller gaming worlds gaming areas that exist within my world but are separate um gaming areas that don't really exist in any world uh, and so there's a couple of things you want to ask yourself beforehand in hindsight that I never asked myself. So where do we begin, right? That's your first question, I'm thinking. Absolutely. Like okay. building blocks, I'm assuming. You know, we got to start with the floor before we build the walls? Not always. There's a few ways to go about doing it. So how much time do you have is a big, uh, a big um, issue. Because if you have, if you want to play on Monday, I'm going to tell you now you're not creating a world before Monday. But you can totally steal some stuff from other places, rename things, use maps that are out there, use a random map generator, um, use a random name generator, all kinds of things like that to totally create a world very quickly that's fairly immersive and really fun. So it's possible to do it within a week, but you're gonna have to work on it every night and make a lot of decisions in the meantime. Okay, that sounds like a lot of work. Let's say I got a month. Well, if you've got a month, what I would suggest is starting in a town or a city, an area, um, whatever um, kind of small sandbox you wanna play in. You don't wanna make it too limited but you don't want to go too far because you don't have a lot of time. A month isn't that much to create an entire immersive gaming world. So you would start on a town and work your way out from there, detailing the town first. Uh, Of course, the third option, which is the option I've taken more often than not, um, is to start all the way at the floor, way back at the beginning of time, and think about how did your world come to exist or how do people say that it came to exist? Um, Why did they say that? 
Did something actually happen? Are these myths detailing something um, that we don't understand or the players don't understand or the characters don't understand? Um, where are the mountains? Where are the rivers? Where, you know, where is the gold? Where is the silver? What other types of um, imports and exports are different areas going to have? You need to put resources all over the place in the world, like um, fertile, fertile valleys, rivers flush with fish. Um, like I said, gold, silver, other precious metals. Where is it easy to farm? Where is it difficult to farm? Why? So this way, and where is the timber? That's also extremely important. Where are good quarries? Um, once you decide those things, then you can start to build around them because as we know, people like to settle where there are riches and wealth, such as a silver mine or um, a river that is flush with fish or a river like the Nile that expands in the flood season to leave all sorts of uh, beautiful fertilizer for the soil. You know, these things are, you know, and I would take areas from the rest of our world in order to help um, kind of color these things like the Nile, like a debt, like the Nairobi desert, you know, places that have a lot of interesting features that you can steal and rename and, start to populate with monsters rather than just normal lizards and things like that. So even just in the small short description, you can see that that third method is going to take some time. So you actually already said something that's um, super intriguing mm -hmm. to me that I never would have thought of, which is the fact that that this group of travelers, this group of individuals would have came from somewhere else to this area because of some sort of natural resource because in my mind when i'm thinking of i want to create a world i'm thinking that's 200 years into the past and i'm writing what's happening now a really cool thing i did um in the volcomenar game which if you have any interest in looking that up that's volcomenar and that's at dnd420.com uh it's part of the wilderdark campaign setting what i did with that is started at the very beginning there were dwarves that migrated to an enormous cavern in search of uh, um, a place to live because the area that they had come from had been ripped by um, natural disasters which were earthquakes and floods underground flooding is a real problem so they moved on most of their population had been decimated and they needed to get somewhere that would be good to live. And what they happened upon was a six mile long vault deep below the crust of my planet's surface, cut off from any other um, surface life. So the, all that they know is the Wilderdark. And um, they find this place where there's actually light and it's not something that they're used to there in awe of this light. And so there's a there's an enormous amount of backstory that I put into this kind of creation myth of of uh, Volcomenar, how it came to be. And so the people that were there at that time were elevated to godhood status. It's thousands of years in the past. 
and all these stories affect the entirety of what the characters get to play and i, I think you've actually gotten a chance to play in the Volcom in our game I as have. well right absolutely yeah and when you when you start to litter the backstory back with resources it just gives your world a a more living breathing feel um, if there are things that are super important to life, like light, things grow better in light. Most plants do. Of course, the, the wilder dark has all sorts of things that grow in the dark. But to come upon a place where there's wildlife and vegetation that they had never seen before that's incredibly abundant and feeds them and gives them the opportunity to not only mine, which is what these dwarves did best, but to feed them so that they could uh, procreate like jackrabbits in this enormous vault that they could mine to their heart's content. Like this was a utopia for them and it was worth fighting over. That's crazy. So it's because you're already taking something that, you know, as a lay person would see and then building this super rich story off of where a lot of the time, well, actually, I think I mentioned this to you while we were playing in Volcom Anar because we were trying to. to figure out directions and we're like you know there is no north south east and west down here um, yeah and the reason that is is north south east and west are named for stars we right. get them from our if you know the 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 entirety of where the stars guided people or the the story about how stars guided people and the story of how we got north south east and west it's stars there are no stars in the wilder dark so i had to do something different and that's i mean and that's something that i mean that alone i mean that alone is an entirety uh a huge story laden with history and reverie and um you know things that just as a human being in the world probably take for granted um even for things like when let's say you're watching a movie that takes place in like, you know, some sort of sci-fi environment or it takes place in some sort of fantasy environment. And they mention days of the week or months of the year. And mm -hmm. that is all according to a, a Gregorian calendar, like a Christian Roman built calendar, which means that that must've existed at some point in time for them to reference that. And again, this explodes into this huge, um, uh, just <laughs> this huge bomb of unearthing all of this beautiful knowledge that as a player, as a gamer, we take for granted uh, because we only see the tip of the mountain. Right. And that's, and you're going to ask yourself some more questions like, um, am I going, how big are, are these gods going to be? Are they? Is it going to be like it is here on Earth, where there are five enormous major religions? Um, do you want three? Do you want four? Do you want five? Do you want thirty? You know, in in D and D, there's usually about thirty gods um, in the main the main core book. Uh, and you know, I'm going. I've played all the different. Still do play several editions, so I'm not going to reference any specific one as usual. Um, Although I know in the past we have, so yes, we have. Yeah, <laughs> uh, here and there. Here I see there. what you're doing there. I see what you're doing. Yeah, I don't want to associate because they all have their. Anyway, I yeah, they all have their bonuses. So, but there's usually about twenty or thirty gods, and they're 
a lot of times related to certain areas, related to certain races. And it's very easy that way to, to place them and understand them. And then you name days of the week after some of these gods, like we have. And all of a sudden, things are quite, quite different. Now, you may not want deep. Your players may not want to learn new days of the week, new uh, units of measurement, uh, new names for directions. They may not want to. That might not be fun for everyone. And I know that, and I've played now with more than, I'd say, 15 people in Volcaminar. Not everyone likes using all of the odd names for what we would normally consider commonplace uh, terms, like Monday or North. So that's something you want to think about. Is it, do you really want to bite off that much? Because that's early on and it's a lot of work, depending on how, how big of a world you want to go. Right. So, and, and that's what I was going to say because, uh, and I, I will admit that there were multiple times where I had forgotten what the actual terminology was. And we unfortunately um, would just fall back onto, you know, what we know as in the world that we live in now, uh, which takes apart, takes away from part of the game, I feel. But like, like you were saying, like that's a lot at the very beginning. So if you were going to create a brand new world and there were four points that needed to be covered, what would be those four points as starting blocks? Well, again, we have to answer the question first, you know, how soon do I want to be ready? How big do I want it to be? And how in-depth do I want it to be? Once we've answered those questions, I'm going to assume that we're going all the way. Oh, we're, we're not, we're not holding back. Okay. We're going all the ways. So we're starting at the very beginning and, um, and we're, we're going to build this whole thing. And we can talk about other methods of building in later episodes, but for now we're going to start with the whole kit and caboodle. <clears throat> so you said you're asking for four things to keep in mind. Yeah. Like four or five things. It's like, okay, these are the things okay. that you need to get started and then you can build off of here. You're going to need a map and it doesn't have to be fancy, but you're going to need a map. And there's lots of ways if you want to just sit down and draw one, that's how I started. And still, I love drawing my maps, even when I do convert them to digital and play with them or let my friend, um, who is much better at digital editing than myself, play with them. Um, I still like to start with pencil. However, not everyone wants to take that amount of time, that amount of effort, or doesn't even feel like I mean, maybe not they have the talent like they have, yeah they have, yeah they have the talent i'm not a talented artist but um there's a there's like a knack to drawing maps and there's actually uh youtube videos about how to draw dnd maps if you go into youtube and and um search it on there you'll find um there are several really good um artists out there that'll teach you the way that they've done it and i've watched a bunch of those and it's super easy but if you don't want to do that, you can also random generate. A I found an amazing, and maybe we'll post the link as well with this to some of these places because they're so Yeah, useful. we'll totally throw it in the show notes. Um, Asgar's Fantasy Map Generator is wonderful. And this, as soon as you go to the page, 
a map auto generates with names and everything. And then you can go in and edit whether you want to see the names of these areas or not, have them labeled, whether you want to do that yourself or whether you want to um, toggle the way the lakes look or the color scheme, the, the type of map that it is, the size and scope of the map. It's really cool. Asgar's Fantasy Map Generator. Uh, if you just Google it, very easy to find, but we're going to put a link down below. Um, and it's a wonderful tool. It'll take you 30 seconds to, to, as long as you want to fool around with it to generate what you're looking for. Um, beyond that, if you want to be a little more kind of in between those two things where if you draw it on paper, you have all kinds of control. If you use a map generator, you don't have a lot of control. But right in between there, there are some other free resources. Um, there are town generators. The one I wanted to talk about the, the most, though, um, is there's a fantasy world map creator called Incarnate, I-N-K-A-R-N-A-T-E, dot com. And this is amazing because you can draw your maps with all of the different types of tools that they have available to you for free. Of course, there's a paid version, which is much better. I've never used the paid version. I use a different um, paid map generator. But uh, if you just are looking for something easy to get started, Incarnate can make beautiful maps. And if you get handy with it, you can do it quickly um, and make them look really nice. So you definitely want that is a map that's the number one thing i think that helps me make understand that this is a real place okay got the map and also um i think um we had uh nathan on way back when he was talking about his game and he wanted to he wanted to create a game that i'm sorry create a world or an, a place that would keep his players isolated and what he ultimately ended up doing with his map was making it an island with no way to get off yeah and you want to be careful with that stuff nathan is an incredible storyteller and he he made that and made it to the point where it didn't feel like you were trapped there was so much that you could do you know there's i mean just so much but you got to be careful to not have not make it feel like you've taken the choice away from your characters and players because uh we, what we referred to that as we talked about it in previous episodes yeah. railroading yeah. <laughs> you do you don't want to make your players think you've railroaded giving them free reign is extremely important and them having decisions that they can make it's going to make them feel really good and it's going to make them feel like your world is huge even if you do like nathan did box it in on an island we never knew there was no way to get off of this island we never even thought about it because it was so immersive um and it was an enormous area with uh there might as well have been two major continents divided by this enormous desert and that's what we really wanted to cross when I played in that game was this enormous desert. We weren't thinking so much about the sea because it wasn't, you know, sea travel isn't a big thing. Mm. Um, well, deep, like far sea travel isn't a thing because of the types of storms and weather and 
um, natural obstacles out there. So you got to be very careful because uh, what you don't want is a player sitting up and going railroad. Right. Choo choo. <laughs> okay. So map, easy thing. Got some good resources that we'll link in the show notes. What's another one? Uh, the second thing you're going to need, the, um, once you have the map, you're going to be able to determine natural resources and stuff based on where you place mountains, rivers, oceans, lakes, things like that. Um, the next thing you're going to need is uh, a history or a, um, a genesis, a starting story, however you want to look at it, um, about your world what makes your world interesting you don't want to just design something that's already been designed you know you want it to be unique or different somehow but not in a way that's cheesy right not not in a way that's too over the top or or maybe you do want to go super cheesy and over the top you know that's just um for for verisimilitude purposes i prefer to make things believable based on certain certain aspects i mean you don't want to have um i don't know like a dangerous city of rogues where murder is commonplace because no way would go there realistically no i mean you can have a place like right i mean but if you name it um ponytown or something like that (laughs) or it's gonna you're gonna that's silly that you know and at you don't want to do stuff like just right, be, right. be careful. Just be careful when you're doing stuff like. Be careful, of Ponytown. It, yeah, because you might get stabbed. Yeah. And My Little Ponytown. <laughs> there it is. There it is. So, you know, be careful of stuff like that. And sometimes, um, you want to bounce like things like names off of your buddies. Maybe people that don't play D and D or aren't in your game. Maybe play D and they're not but they're not in your game or what have you, maybe even your players themselves, you know, but I don't like to give stuff away. So I would never ask you what you thought of the names I came up with for a game that you're going to play in, but that's just me. So you, I named, um, a city. I can't remember what it was now, but it was like, at the time it was a very famous actress's last name. And I didn't even think of that. I didn't even really know who she was. Huh. Uh, and, and that's why I can't think of the name yeah, of it. Yeah, coming I, to light. Um, I, ch- I ended up shortening it to Delon. Delon. And Delon. And I don't remember what it was. Delaney, Delanis, Delano. I don't know what it was. It was something, some actress's name. And that was what everyone thought of when they heard it. Uh, everyone. Oh, it, was just, it was one of those. But everyone but me, yeah. Right. So, you, you know, I just didn't think of it. It was There's an actress's names because I don't really give a shit. Right. I don't follow anybody's story or, you know, I know who Brad Pitt is. Yeah. <laughs> He's in everything. Right. But, but um, so it's it's good to get a second opinion on because you don't want, you know, um, Pink Town to be the most dangerous place there is. And then you just didn't think of it. Oh, that's the color pink. You know, I know that's ridiculous, but it could sound that way to someone. Sure. If you're 
if you make a mistake. Yeah, or even, so, I mean, even a simple Google search will probably pull up something too, you know. Uh, it's nice, but you're going to need to name, if you're doing it right, you're going to need to name 50 towns and cities. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> it's, it takes a while. And there are name generators out there. Uh, Fantasy Name Generator is an excellent one. And this is uh, actually one woman who made this and upkeeps it from, from what I know. And there are hundreds of generators on from um, elf and dragon name generators to town and city generators um, to things that you would never even think of, like Klingon or Klingon name generator. Oh, yeah, I, I can totally believe that. And it's excellent. This is a beautiful resource. I still use it and then click through until I'm inspired. I don't really use names from the name generator. And I, I, I know not a lot of people actually do, but it's a wonderful place to, to, to see different types of names that are put together in different ways. There's a female and male toggle button. And you can get 10 at a time. Really cool. I like to mix and match, add my own flair to things. Um, but it's a, it's another wonderful resource, Fantasy Name Generator. Um, but that's going to be part of your lore. A lot of times you're going to use those names that you're naming kingdoms or cities or towns or like we were talking about days of the week that's all going to be related back to your genesis story um make it interesting but don't go too over the top because you might set yourself up for a lot of problems later the reason i like to keep my particular genesis story a little bit simple is because you can always make it insane as they find out more about it you're, Give me an example. Okay, so the story I'm telling my player is that in my game world, and this is all old news, 25 years we played through this with, I don't know, 60 different players, roughly, and the water was in the sky. Water just weighed less than air, and it went up into the sky, and it was said to be a curse. That's why they said that the people said that it happened that way is that water was cursed to float away from humanoids, to float to the gods, that they may have the water and we may not. And now each different religion had a different thought about, about this, why it happened. And as the players went through, and it was that simple, what's different about my world? The water is in the sky. And every thousand years, there's a new era of um, a dominant thought process. Those are the two things I did. And so I, I named the first few um, millennia. There was a time of time of woe, the time of I don't remember what they all were now. The times of uh, the, the era of tears, uh, the, the age of confusion, and something else. So they each had a different reason. It, on the gods because i wanted the gods to be extremely big and i had 37 gods in this campaign 37 or 38 and they all had different um a different type of uh feel to them a different people they were associated with or a different area they were associated with and a different um genesis story that was they all sounded very similar but 
seen from a different point of view. And that's how I made it a little more complex because then the, the players and the characters, so the characters get to kind of do the micro search through the different care, you know, I'm this one character. I believe in this one God and this one story. And I believe that that's the way it is. But then the player plays something else in a different area and they hear a very similar story from a different perspective and point of view. And so now this character gets to play through that at you as a player, but the player is also seeing more about the world. And that's what I wanted to do is have my world become more and more revealed to my players. So it created kind of a, I don't know, like a, a little cult-like following. Like people wanted to know more about my world. Right. Because things are starting to not make sense. But then as you play more and more characters over many, many years, it started to come to pass that you find out why water is in the sky. You start to put all these things together as a player. So I, I made it to where the world is starting to understand it so it would keep up with the players. And then we came to a big, major time. The whole reason I wanted the water in the sky, we came to the time confusion where the water fell from the sky as rain for many days. I wanted the, the, sky, the sky to fall on the people. That was my entire idea. And it had to be done with divine entities and and the water had to be in the sky for it to work the way i wanted it to so for 25 years i played with the water up in that sky and then all these um interesting stories about why and then as everything falls down around them i destroyed huge tracts of the world drowned people out in floods and saved certain areas and then now there's a new story and a new era um where all the, the different areas are now kind of unified, where you'd think the seas would tear people apart. It actually brings people together. Um, and now there are, there's a new war. Things are different. There's a different type of feel to the gods. So I started very simple with that concept that I wanted the water to be in the sky and for the sky to fall upon the world eventually. That's it. And everything else was as close to kind of like a D&D normal setting as I could make it. So it wasn't too out there. If you can, if you can suspend disbelief and believe that there's a curse on the water and the sky, it became a very believable, very living. So I think the, the, to kind of go back to what you were saying, I think what's interesting about, because a lot of the time it's like, well, I got to create a world. I'm going to set it in a time frame that I know. I'm going to set it in an environment that I'm familiar with. But what you did was you created a world that your characters can live in, but you also made something very specific and very unique to it that kind of driven it as a character as well, kind of on the outside, that allowed your players to explore that also. So, like, yeah, your group of travelers may be doing XYZ and collecting this and going to talk to this person, but there's a whole other world that's happening behind them or around them that they are unaware of. And they're seeing the result of things on top of everything else, which creates that environment of, you know, go and explore and talk to people and ask them about things. Like I remember that whole age of confusion thing. And it was weird in the beginning when the group would go, uh, you know, traveling from one point to another, and we'd come across, you know, you know, wild, zealous religions or 
you know, these different cults of groups. And we would ask them, like, well, I take that back. It was Tommy. Tommy was constantly asking, like, well, what about the Age of Confusion? And they had wildly different terms for everything. But it was, what was great about it was it may have not been, like, the, the focal point of the game at that particular session. But there was always something to chew off. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I try to do. I try to, to give you brain candy. I like my my gaming to be, um, by and large, influenced by real events that have happened in our world that I reskin. I reskin everything. Um, I don't steal. I I don't steal content. I just reskin ideas. So, um, and that's what I mean by take something like the Nile River. Is it's one that I've been thinking about a lot. I don't know what I'm going to. But I want a city like Egypt, based around this river that brings life, and it, it basically is the god. I I tried this once before, and the campaign didn't make it very far. Uh, the players just didn't have a. They they couldn't get on board with the time, and we played maybe five or six sessions, and it fell apart. Um, but I want to go back to that area. I want to go back to that river, and I want to do something larger. I want the river to be alive. I don't want it to be so much a river. I want to take that thought process that the Nile River was a god, and I want to bring that god to life. And I want to give it characteristics that a river would have. I don't want to um, humanize that river. I don't want to make it into a human I want to give it its own type of living, breathing nature. And so that's the one thing I want to do in this next quote unquote world that I want to make this next campaign area. And I want to push that as far as I can while trying to maintain a normal feel. That's, I mean, that's, I know I've been doing this for a long time. We've been talking about this for a long time, but the shit like that still blows my mind because it's just a, such a, I, it's just not, my brain doesn't think that way. So, okay, so here's what we're going to do. So I know I said five. That number was arbitrary. I was just throwing out a number just to try to get the thing along. We're going to start with the two first. So I'm going to build a map and I'm going to build some sort of genesis slash lore slash history about whatever town I'm going to create. And then in the next episode, I'm going to send it to you. We're going to talk about it and then move on to the next thing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.